0: Welcome to a No Place to Hide, a men's mental health podcast. Over the coming weeks and episodes, I'll be talking to guests from different industries and different backgrounds, all willing to share their story and their experiences. Alongside this, I'll be talking about my own experiences and my own stories, covering a wide range of topics, Sometimes this will be hard-hitting, brutally honest, and even sometimes shocking. Subjects that we will be covering and talking about are of a sensitive nature, like suicide, self-harm, addiction, and sometimes people that have been in very dark places. But all of this is in the aim of breaking that stigma of men not talking, or men not seeking help. So welcome to a No Place to Hide, come and take a seat and listen along the journey on men's mental health, with the aim of breaking that stigma together. Welcome to episode one, my story. So in this podcast we're going to be talking about my experiences, my story, the shit fest of my downfall and how I actually managed to get out of it, and the way that I am coping now. All of this is the aim just to let men know that, you know, it's alright not to be alright. And I know people say that a lot, but it is perfectly fine for you to not feel fine. Um, there's too many men unalive in themselves, and later on uh, in the podcast, we're going to look at some of the statistics which absolutely shocked me and blew my mind. And I knew some of them were really high, but I didn't quite prepare myself for what I would find uh, when I looked into that. So, let's start off with it. Most people think that mental health uh, or depression or anxiety comes from a bad upbringing or from traumas at a young age. And it's not always. It is not one size fits all. So I had a relatively pretty good upbringing I had fantastic parents. I I had a good family around me. I had some good friends. Um, But nothing really of any significance happened in my upbringing that I would say triggered anything or whatever. You know, school, you know, I didn't really have any problems at school. Wasn't really bullied. Never really excelled. Never really achieved, like overachieved, should I say. But, you know, it wasn't too bad. Teenager life... (sighs) Again, pretty boring to be fair. Pretty standard teenager life in 90s and is living in the north. Um, it was only later when I started hitting to about 18. So when I was 18 or 19, I think it was, I started with a, a kidney problem. Didn't quite understand what was going on. I was developing kidney stones. And over the years, this would actually be quite prevalent in, in causing some sort of um, Depression. It, it's it's only when I had counselling later on, which we'll speak about, that I realised that the amount of upset and the, the the amount of emotional damage that it caused me that I didn't even realise about um, actually really got to me. So being being with the kidney problem, um, I actually had to make me change my whole lifestyle, friendship circles, everything. So because of the kidney issues I was having, I couldn't drink anymore, or I had to be careful what I was drinking. So you can imagine a 19-year-old lad living at North, all of a sudden, everything that your life revolves around is going out three, four nights a week. I had to stop. Um, and I didn't stop, and it made me even more ill. Um, and, and I just got into a cycle of, I wasn't an alcoholic, don't get me wrong, didn't have a drink problem, but I just enjoyed going out and socialising with the friends that I had. and And that friendship circle... It changed, and it, and it wasn't due to any of the lads that I was hanging around with, because they were all a cracking bunch of lads, and, and I still see some of them now. But I had to completely change what I did socially, and that had a big effect on me. So growing up, um, you always have your heroes, don't you? You know, some people it's like you know a footballer or it, it's you know it's a movie star or whatever. But for me, growing up, there, there was three people in my life that. Meant the absolute world to me uh one was my granddad frank uh one was my dad and there was another guy called ronnie wright now ronnie wright was a chap that was i i always called him uncle ronnie uh it was uncle ronnie because he borrowed my dad's lawnmower in 1989 my dad broke it and ever since then it was Ron- <laughs> Uncle ronnie wright um but he taught me a lot of life lessons, a lot of life lessons that I still use to this day. And I I actually instill on my son um, about, you know, if you can help somebody, you do help somebody. Uh, at some point in another podcast, we'll, we'll go on to some stories about Ronnie and my granddad and my dad. But, you know, the biggest hero, my biggest one that I looked up to growing up was my granddad and my granddad, Frank, Frank. Um, spent a lot of my school holidays, summers, everything else, at, at my granddad and my nan's caravan, weekends. You know, my mum and dad worked a lot. My mum was a midwife, so she worked shifts. My dad worked at a, an office job that was quite high up, so he was under a lot of pressure at work. So, you know, it, it was hard back then. You know, it didn't have very much back then in the 90s and, and early noughties, to be, uh, to be precise. But, you know, my mum and dad made the best everything they could for us as children growing up, and I can't thank them enough for that. But, um, you know, as you get older, your siblings and everything else get older around you, and, and unfortunately, on the 18th of September 2007, uh, we lost Frank. We lost Frank. And it um, it hit me very, very hard. Very, very hard. And um, still does. Still when I talk about him now, talk about with a smile on my face and a tear in my eye. But I never dealt with the grief, and this is where my downfall majorly started. I'd already had issues with my kidneys and changed all that, but I didn't really accept that that was going on. I had no choice but to accept that we'd lost my granddad, And um, I never dealt with the grief. I just thought, I'll I'll be fine for now, I'll deal with it another day. And that another day never came. You know, so you bury it deep. Um, Put my granddad over my world... Yeah, absolute world. He was my best friend. You know everything, everything to me. Um, so fast forward a few years. On the twelfth of March, twenty sixteen, was probably the best day of my life, and my little boy was born. Uh, it was absolutely amazing day, um, and to the point where my son's middle name is Frank, after my granddad Frank. Uh, so that just shows you how much that Frank meant to me. Um, so he was born on the 12th of March 2016, and the first 14 days was just magical. You know, you, you get handed this little human that now relies on you for everything in the world, everything. And as a parent, and particularly as a dad, you have got no fucking clue what you're doing because... Unless I'm mistaken, but no instruction manual came out with my son. And I, yeah you have to wing it. You have to wing it. And you question yourself every day. Every day as a, as a dad. And I don't care what anybody says. You could be the world's shittiest dad or the world's best dad. You will question yourself every day. And that's a big pressure on yourself as well. But, you know, like I said, the no instruction manual came out. So you had to wing it. But on day 15 um, was probably the hardest point of my life ever and my absolute world came crashing down so jackson went to sleep on the night perfectly fine bit grouchy didn't really eat much but it was all right um we awoke and he wasn't breathing and you know as as a parent you always look over in the night and you always like turn the light on or you'll put your phone on so it glows on him and you look for him breathing don't know why you do you just just double check uh, but his chest wasn't, reason- it wasn't rising, it wasn't sinking, it wasn't doing anything. But all he got was uh, just in his throat, was just moving up and down. And he it, it got what, well, what we later find out to be a, called a tracheal tug. And he was breathing that shallow. So, you know, we, we got him straight through to hospital. Within 15 minutes of a doctor sitting on the bed with him, um, Jackson was rushed through to resus. Did not have a clue what was going on. We just knew that going into resource and this is not good whatsoever. Not at all. Um and you know, they were putting tubes in him, you know, everything in him, he got this little mask on and I'm thinking he took a step back and uh you can see this little boy on yeah. an adult's bed, just laid there absolutely helpless, and there's nothing you can do. So we spent um the next few weeks in hospital, and it turned out that Jackson had got meningitis and septicemia at the same time. Um to start with, the doctors weren't really uh, forthcoming in, in thinking that he would make it because of how far and how, how bad the infection was. His face was so swelled, his head was so swelled. We couldn't even touch him, could not even touch him for a few days because the pain it was causing him was just sending his heart rate and his temperature through the roof. So you, you can imagine this effect that it has on you as a parent when your child is fine. The effect it has on you when you're child, you can see your child in that position, is just, it's just monumental. You cannot even like comprehend it. Um, and this had a really big effect and a big impact on me. So you got to imagine all this trauma that I'd had up to this point, and I never dealt with any of it. I just kind of like put it off, put it to the back of my mind, swallowed it deep, and just, and just carried on. So you know, the old British shame, don't you? Keep on, keep it on. So eventually, Jackson did uh come round we managed to get to hold him uh he spent a few weeks in there and and you know that's a different story for another day um but yeah we managed to get him home which was an amazing day uh a bit of time went on and and unfortunately there's due to a relationship breakdown between myself and jackson's mum nobody's of any fault just a complete utter relationship breakdown and um yeah, that, so that really hit me quite hard as well, which is a really hard thing to deal with. Uh, and anybody that's been through that, th- there's so many things that go through your mind. Um, but you just kind of just like try and deal with each little bit at a time. It was only when um Jackson first stayed away from from the house, or he, he stayed with his mum that everything just hit me all at once. And I, I had a massive, massive meltdown, sat on the landing, cried my eyes out. So, you remember when you were a kid and you used to get told off pretty bad and you cried to the point where you were like, couldn't breathe. It was that sort of like crying and, and uncontrollable emotion, and I did not know what to do. So, I was in a house on my own for the first time without my son with me, and I just, I, I just lost the plot. And I thought to myself, well, I don't know why I got it into my head, but Jackson didn't need me anymore. Is it his mum's? It's fine. He'll be fine. He doesn't need me and he doesn't need a dad that's like this. So what do I do? Where do I go? Right, okay. So I got a pen and paper out. wrote a note. Not a long one. And I've still got it to this day. Um, Went into the loft and got my um, bag out of the loft that I used to use for camping. And tied a noose. Um, no, I didn't feel any guilt. Didn't feel anything other than I just just need to kill myself. Um, and um, I tied this noose, packed a bag, planned exactly where I was going to go, which is you know it's about a mile away from us in the woods. I knew a spot where there'd be nobody really there, uh, and uh, nobody to really stop me as such, should, should I say, so I packed this bag went to walk downstairs and um, had a Labrador called Marley and he um, just walked upstairs stopped dead in the middle of the stairs, wouldn't let me past wouldn't let me past, which it was not like him because he was a grumpy old sod so he never really bothered with anything he just liked sleep but he would not let me pass that day and uh, I, uh, I sat on the steps, still streaming with tears with his bag on my back, and a nose pre-tied in, in the back of it. No not left on the uh, on the bed upstairs, Then he wouldn't let me past. And I, I just looked up, and on top of the landing was a photo of Jackson. And it stopped me dead in my tracks. And I, to this day, still say, if I had not had that dog, or if it had been asleep in a separate part of the house, I would not be here today to tell that tale. I, I would have gone, and I was in that mindset where I would have, I would have done it, and and there's no two ways about it. I would have done. If it wasn't for the fact that he stopped me dead straight on them stairs, wouldn't let me past, and and I happened to look up and and see that photo, and that's the only thing that stopped me. That is the only thing that stopped me. But the worst thing I could have done after this point. Is that's where I should have gone and got help. That's where I should have opened up. That's where I should have talked. And I didn't. I just buried it deep. And I buried it deep because I was fucking embarrassed. Absolutely, utterly ashamed of myself. That as a man and as a dad. That that's where I got to. Fucking embarrassed. You know? And it sounds stupid. Why the hell should I be embarrassed? Why would I have not opened up and spoke to somebody about that? Instead, I just swallowed it. And I carried on and just kept on keeping on and buried everything. Um, you know, and, and then time went on a bit more. And I met, I wasn't even looking for anybody really, but I'm, I, I met who is now my wife and um, tried burying it from her as well. You know, giving it the old, I'm happy go lucky, as you do when you first date him. <laughs> you know, and, and to be fair, credit where credit's due um she started noticing that something wasn't quite right and one day i just finally broke down and i admitted that i uh i needed help and i needed some serious help uh she supported me instantly from that second bang i, I had the full support of somebody and, and the weight that it lifted off my shoulders just opening up even though i didn't open up about everything you know it was a snippet. Um, it just made a world of difference but it was a huge moment and a huge shift in in my mentality that I'd taken that step but you know looking back and I just think the amount that it took to get to that point before I opened up you know if some people aren't as equipped as, as other people not every man is as strong mentally as the next man or you know the next man after that might be you know not as equipped to deal with as much shit as what you take on. There's been days where I've pulled up in my van from work and before I go in the house, I am streaming with tears, screaming, getting it out of my system so I can put this mask on and come in and see my family. So they've got no clue. They had no clue. Nobody did. You know, not not my family, not my friends, not, not anybody had a clue of what was going on at that point in time in my life. But, you know, once I opened up and I got that support, it was just a huge weight shift. And, um, yeah, I managed to get some counselling. And I found out I had a lot of fucking demons. A lot of demons. You know, one of the best things that they got me to do was to write a diary. So write a diary of everything. So if I had night terrors, you know, and I'm not afraid to have me, I don't give a shit. 37 year old man and I still have night terrors to this day I don't care what anybody says and I used to write them down and I wrote everything down so anything that popped into my head that I think thought Phew, god I forgot about that 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 bothered me I'd make a note of it and like I say it, it turned out I had a hell of a lot of demons that I didn't even deal with and, and there's still stuff now it's still a journey I'm on now and I'm still dealing with things now you know and and they said to me, and, and it still sticks to me at this day, that just because somebody carries it well doesn't mean it's heavy. And I think that's a fantastic saying. you know. And like I said, going back to that, dealing with it in the van before I came into work and things like that, just because I carried it well doesn't mean to say that it's weighing heavy on me. And, and it still, still rings true with me that day. Um, so I was on a really good path. Got a new relationship. We was engaged. Things were going really, really well. We, we then got married, which was an amazing day. You know, I was in a really, really good place. And then um, last year, I lost Marley. So, the dog that saved my life. And we lost him to cancer. And I don't care if you can eat the fact that I'm fucking crying, but phew, that was a huge thing for me, losing Marley. Um, his ashes still sit aside of me in the office at work, I've still not not got the bottle to uh, spread his ashes yet, but that was um, it really, really broke me, really broke me if it wasn't for that dog oh, I wouldn't be here today, Jackson wouldn't have a dad, you know my stepdaughters wouldn't have a stepdad and my dad wouldn't have a son and, and there's too many men doing that and we need to talk guys and we need to stop that but um Yeah, so I, I instantly picked up the phone, and uh, I spoke to my (laughs) counsellor, which is something I wouldn't have done if I'd never opened up in the first place. I would have never have known that I had that comfort blanket there that I could speak to somebody and I could get that help. And just even if it's just somebody that sits and listens, you know, it, it doesn't have to be anybody that you know as such. Um, but at this point, obviously, the only people I had ever opened up to was my wife, and a counsellor that I had naturally even met, it was all via phone calls, Um, so I never actually really spoke to anybody, other than those two people, and, um, you know, I'd I'd, I'd taken up racing motorbikes, and I've always had a massive interest in motorbikes, and it's always been something that soothes my brain, and soothes my head, whether that be in the garage, working on it, cleaning it, out at a track somewhere, even helping somebody out, it's, Kind of the thing that settled my brain. So through through racing, I'd met you know a really good group of friends, and um, I just randomly opened up one day to Stew, and uh, I thought he's going to think I'm some sort of absolute ball pack, or you know, call me soft or whatever. And um, do you know what? That was a, a really big step because. Not only did he prove me wrong, (laughs) he didn't call me a ball back. Um, He did did give me some banter for being from up north, because Stu's southern. Um, (laughs) But he listened and he he helped me. And it turned out that Stu himself had 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 similar things and and we just talked about it and it was amazing. Absolutely amazing conversations. You just sit and just talk to each other, just normal. And then I just kind of think to myself, why can't guys do that? You know, and I once asked my wife, and I said, if, if you're having a shit day, or you're having a really bad time, or something's on your mind, I said, do you go and sit with your friends and have a cup of tea and talk about it, or do you go to work, and you, you, know, you get it off your chest? She says, yeah. I says, well, what do you think I do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I can't go to work and just say, oh, fucking hell, mate, I'm having a, I'm having a bit of a shit day. As a man, you automatically think another man's response is going to be "shut up, you soft fucker," or you know, "stop, stop being soft." Crack, you know what I mean? Crack on, or whatever. And and it's only until you actually open up that you realise that that's not actually going to be the response you're going to get. And and a lot of that is to do with how society have put men on this pedestal of being hard and you know not showing emotions because it's weakness, and you've got to be this and you've got to be that. But do you know what? Going back to a chap called Ronnie Wright, my uncle Ronnie Wright, you know the one that lent the lawnmower? Uh, I think I was about 15 at the time and he was trying to explain some things to me and and whatnot and he said to me once, he went, always be strong enough to be gentle, but be gentle enough to be strong. And I think a lot of men should look into that sort of aspect and, and be strong enough to be gentle, but obviously gentle enough to be strong. You know, so... You need to be able to open up and speak about things and be, you know, open and talk and get your emotions out because if you don't, it's just going to eat away at you and it's just going to manifest and be so self-destructive, It's I can't even explain. But on the other side, be gentle enough to be strong that you're not going to get pushed over in life and walked all over because that's another thing that will cause you a load of issues as well. You know... But I'm just so glad that I opened up to people that I have, and now I have regular conversations with people about it. I don't care who I open up to anymore, and if people's responses are what I expect it to be, then so be it. But that's just how I am now, and, and I feel so much better for it. But I've now got the tools of how I know how to deal with it, or if I can feel myself starting to have a bad day, I know that that bad day is now not going to turn into a bad week, and that bad week's not going to turn into a bad month. And it's only now that I can I've got those tools to do that. And I just think men need to start seeking out help or advice. But make sure you go down the right if avenues of, of advice or help. Don't just automatically go to one person. And if you don't get the response that you expect, shut back down because not everybody's in a good enough place or has has got the mental capacity to be able to help you. You know they might be having issues themselves, so. Always make sure that you seek out the right advice or the right people to go down. Um, so yeah, moving on to what we were talking about earlier on, uh, the facts and stats are around men and men's mental health. So let's just take last year, for instance. Um, now this really, really shocked me and I, it still shocks me to look at it now. So 74% of all suicides in the UK last year were men. Now just let that sink in for a minute. Three quarters of all suicides in the UK last year alone was men. That equates to 16 deaths per 100,000 men compared to 5.5 deaths per 100,000 women. But on the flip side of that, men only make up 35 sorry 38% of the NHS talking therapy. So people who get referred or people that ask for referrals for the talking therapy for NHS when they're having problems. Only thirty eight percent of them are men. But yet seventy-four percent of suicides were men. Now that's got to change. That shift has got to change. Because in men under fifty and and this is stats, you know, this is not me making things up. These are from uh, the gov. Uh, you can go and look at it if you want to do. Um But suicide is the biggest cause of death in men under 50. The biggest cause of death. Not cancer, not asbestosis, not, you know, roadside deaths or anything like that. Suicide. Suicide is the biggest cause of death uh, of men under the age of 50. Now, why is that happening? It's happening because men can't talk and society has pushed men into that box where they feel like they can't talk and we've got to change it. You know, the last thing that I'm going to talk about is the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans are a fantastic charity and I have actually rang these before myself. And if you need Samaritans, it's 116123. But they answer a call every 10 seconds and every 90 minutes someone dies from suicide in the UK. Every 90 minutes, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every 90 minutes, somebody dies from suicide. You know, and going back to that, 74% of those are men. And and we've got to start making a change. We've got to start opening up. This has been incredibly hard for me to talk and open up on this podcast. I've struggled at points. It's took me a long time to record this. It's took me various recordings to actually get to the point where, uh, you know, I've not broken down halfway through when you couldn't understand what I'm saying. But, you know, we've got to start doing it, men. And we've got to start doing it together. This stigma around men not talking has got to get, get the fuck out of here. Get it gone. Just fucking talk. Because I can guarantee once you've talked, you think, fuck it, that's not as bad. And you'd be surprised how many other men have had similar experiences. And they'll sit and they'll reciprocate that conversation to you. And you'll feel so much better for it. It's not going to cure it overnight you know, you're going to have to take steps and look at that little step in front of you rather than the big goal at the end. Take them little steps. But the first one you need to take is actually opening up and speaking to somebody. And we need to start doing that. But, um, you know, we will do. We will do. I have every faith that men will get better, that the stats will start, you know, coming down. And I really hope it does. I really hope it does because there's too many people doing it. Too many men are unaliving themselves too many men are disappearing or going off the radar and it's just it's got to stop if you do want to check out a website um you don't want to talk to anybody but you'd rather check out a website sometimes it's a bit easier there is a fantastic charity um the website is it's going to be later on at the end of the podcast but it's wwwtough have a check of it out guys even if you just you know, want to have a little bit of a nosy round. What they're doing is an unbelievable thing for men, similar to what I'm trying to do. They're trying to break the stigma, but they've actually got um, registered professionals working alongside them, with a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff on there with forums and stuff like that for helping support each other. So check it out, have a look, see what you think. But guys, just remember, you're not alone. You're not in it alone. We're in it together, and, and let's start talking. Let's break that stigma. And on that note, thank you for listening to the first episode and, and I hope you tune in for further episodes. Uh, thank you very much. Well, thank you for listening to A No Place to Hide. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast and I hope to see you for future episodes as well. If you do realise that you need somebody to talk to or you feel like you need to reach out or even if you just need a bit of advice, please check out www.touftotalk.com. These guys are running a fantastic men's mental health charity on their website. It's got links to about everything that you can possibly imagine. They've also got places for advice and help. If you need to speak to somebody on the phone, please contact the Samaritans on 116 123. Or alternatively, please contact the NHS 111 option 2. Remember guys, stay safe and we can only break this stigma together.